1: I'm Patience Adamu.
0: And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution and an election.
1: Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis.
0: And if you enjoyed our weekly breakdown of Canada's 44th election, please subscribe.
1: On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of September 19th, including...
0: Election night came and went, and for the most part, shit's still the same. Still, there were some changes, and we take a moment to break them all down.
1: Then we dive into how Haitian migrants are literally getting reined in by cowboys at the Texas border. And things are getting much worse in Tigray, Ethiopia, as millions starve to death due to the ongoing conflict. Mm. And plenty more.
0: To kick off our politics segment, so... Election 44 drew to a close last week, and I know a lot of you saw the results and said, Thank God! <laughs> that was a Donda reference, by the way. Shout out to Ye. Anyway, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau won the 2021 general election, becoming the eighth Canadian Prime Minister to win three or more elections. He's ranked up there with the juggernauts, who powered their way to win after win after win, like Laurier and McDonald, his dad, and King. And what were the results? Election Canada shows that 62% of eligible Canadians exercised their franchise, a drop from the 67% who did in 2019 and the 68% who did in 2015. The final count was 159 seats for the Liberals, meaning they grew their seat count by four, 119 seats for the Conservatives, meaning they failed to grow their seat count 34 seats for the Bloc, giving them the balance of power, and they grew their seat count by two. 25 to the NDP, meaning they added one seat to their their total count. Two for the Greens, who kept their total seats. And thankfully, zero for the PPC. There's just so much information to take in from the election, so I thought it might be good to dissect the end result of the election through select headlines in the news from reputable sources, of course. You down for that, Patience? Let's do it. First, we'll start with the governing liberals. A win's a win, wrote Paul Wells at McLean's. Patience, do you read McLean's at all? Yeah, I, I do read McLean's
1: on, on, a, on a monthly basis, actually.
0: Fam, they hate Trudeau over there, really right? Eh? Anyway, <laughs> the liberals won the most seats, mostly relying on urban and suburban writings for their support, and won in writings with more people of color, 32%, and recent immigrants uh, at 9%, according to a Global Mail analysis. About 60% of liberal votes came from writings with medium to high population density, while just 16% came from less populated writings. People who voted liberal tended to be better off economically, as demonstrated by the liberals winning in writings, where the average household income is $71,000, which is slightly higher than the national median income of $70,336, and higher than every other party except the conservatives. The cons, by the way one in writings where the household income was 78600 or more. Interesting. Mm-hmm. As Paul Wells noted, Trudeau's problems now are the problems of power. He gets to implement a national daycare network, follow through on his commitments to Black Canadians and the wider BIPOC community, triple the federal carbon tax and the rebates that go with it, and plenty more good things. But he'll also face some headway for at least a year as the same parliamentary committees that were controlled by the opposition continue to be controlled by the same opposition. But those are good problems compared to Aaron O'Toole. Speaking of him, I came across a couple of interesting headlines that reflect where conservatives are at right now. The first one is, Aaron O'Toole accused of betraying conservatives as he faces first leadership <laughs>
1: challenge. Betraying
0: <it. laughs> Okay. Now, take a look at how they they did. The Conservatives won the popular vote with 34% compared to 33% for the Liberals, or by 188,155 votes. Support for that party skewed rural, with 30% of the party's votes coming from ridings with the least population density and another 31% in areas with low to medium density. The party's ridings had the second lowest proportion, behind the block, of people of color, or new immigrants on average. At 10 and 4%, respectively. And those percentages have decreased since 2019. In fact, here's another headline patience. After Monday's vote, the federal conservative caucus will be 95% white. Oh. Only 5% of the conservatives' racialized candidates were elected, translating into six MPs, including Leslyn Lewis, who won her seat in Haldeman, Norfolk, a riding in rural Ontario. By contrast, 30% of liberal candidates who were elected were racialized, including new MPs like Friends of the Drip, Michael Coteau, and Ariel Cayabaga, both of which were expecting to be seriously considered for cabinet. The NDP said of the four new NDP MPs elected on Monday, two are indigenous. Now, jumping back to why, uh, you know, Aaron O'Toole may be without a job soon, part of the reason the knives are out for him is because, yet again, the party failed to punch through the Liberal fortress in Toronto and its surrounding suburbs in this election. Indeed, the Tories actually performed worse this year than they did in 2019, losing incumbents in ridings like Markham Unionville and Aurora Oak Ridge's Richmond Hill, which went back to the Liberals. The Conservatives also lost a ton of support in their homeland, or heartland, I should say, Alberta, shedding 14.2% of the popular vote to the NDP which gained 7.9%, and the PPC, which gained 5.2%, respectively. The Conservatives now sit at 55% support from their high of 70% in 2019. The question is, what caused that big-ass drop? Was it because of Jason Kenney's incompetence on the pandemic, which O'Toole praised? Was it because of O'Toole's own carbon tax, which he said he'd never bring in? Is it because he's trying to build a, quote, Conservative movement that is inclusive, diverse, forward-looking, socially progressive, and worker-friendly, end quote. Despite the base of that party being the Canadian home of exactly the opposite of those things. All three? Who knows. I know conservatives like Tim Powers thinks people are, quote, still trying to figure out what the conservative party is all about, going through the conundrum of trying to figure out if this is the party of Stephen Harper or something else, end quote. Well, we'll have to wait to see if O'Toole keeps his job past December and if the party decides to go hard right again to contend with the PPC. Speaking of which, here's another headline. Maxime Bernier and the People's Party of Canada fail to win any seats.
1: Did you hear the joke, yo, about about Maxime? Which one? That he's no longer Maxime Bernier, he's Maxime Dernier. Ah! Bomba (laughs) for those of you who don't speak French, dernier means last.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's a good one. Um, look, while, while we should be happy, Maxime didn't get any seats. The party did better than the Greens in national support. I mean, technically, it's not really Maxime that's dernier; it's actually me. Right. But we'll get to that in a bit. The PPC's support surged during the campaign, earning around 5% of the national vote, more than double the support the PPC had just seven weeks ago, and propelling Bertignier's party into fifth place, according to Elections Canada. Bertignier's incoherent message of emphasizing personal freedom and condemning, quote, authoritarian government measures, end quote, resonated far more than many expected. Throughout the campaign, the PPC was shit on by most for encouraging anti-vax sentiments, denying climate change, and pushing xenophobic immigration policy. So how'd they grow? Bernier says the platform is the same now as it was in 2019, after splintering off the Conservative Party then. But this time around, Canadians have spent the last 18 months with their lives turned upside down, coping with ever-changing public health advice and restrictions. right. right. From Maxime himself, quote, now more people understand our policies because people are mad, people are angry, and they don't like that the government is violating their rights, end quote. I mean, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> for, the record, in <laughs> for the record, in 2017, Bernier ran for the leadership of the conservatives, losing by less than 2%. He broke from party orthodoxy then by promising to scrap Canada's supply management system, which, for those who don't know, guarantees prices for farmers selling milk, chicken, and eggs. Shortly after his loss, Bernier left the Conservatives, declaring them, quote, too intellectually and morally corrupt to be reformed, end quote, and started his own party. It should also be noted that Bernier met his goal of 4% support this election, which brings us to the Greens. Here's their headline from the CBC. Green Party leader Anime Paul loses her race, party sending at least two MPs to Ottawa. Unfortunately, Anime Paul has lost her bid to win Toronto Centre, coming in dead last to Marcy Ian, and her party shed more than half the support it had in the 2019 election. On the flip side, though, there's still some good news as the party is sending two MPs to Ottawa, Elizabeth May once again from BC, and brand new MP from Ontario, Mike Morris. That election made history, by the way, since it's the party's first electoral win in Ontario and only the second outside of BC. The question is, will she be allowed to stay on as leader after losing her bid for her own seat twice and shedding public support? For comparison, though, Liz May ran five times as leader before winning her seat. But the party has clearly taken a beating, running just 252 candidates across Canada's 338 ridings, which is something the Greens hadn't done in years. Liz May herself wanted a review done to determine why that happened. maybe be because of your party trying to undermine me at every stage. But hey, in the end, as Chantal Hébert from The Star said, no leader got what they wanted. And as I say, time marches on. Patience. What about you? How, how do you feel about how the election turned out?
1: I mean, much like everybody else, I was very, very happy to see that the PPC did not win any seats. But I neglect to mm. to but what you just brought up, which was that, um, you know, despite them not winning any seats, they still did. Garner a lot of support across the country. That does scare me, uh, and even like from from my own personal experience, you know, driving around the GTA, I saw a lot more visibility of those purple signs. So that that was also a, mm-hmm. a really um, you know scary turn. And you know, Bernier says that he's not going to change his his platform or his plan policies for the, for the next, you know, couple of years for the next election. And I believe him. Mm-hmm. I believe that it is as archaic today as it probably will ever be. So let's just keep it, <laughs> keep it as archaic as, as, as it will. Um, for the greens. I think it's, it's a huge loss. You know, enemy joined us on the podcast and, mm-hmm. you know, discussed her plans and she did really well in the English debate. It just,
0: mm-hmm. it
1: just sucks. It was a tough race to begin with, very little changed. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope that she'll be able to get her party in line and run again, hopefully in a different riding um, so that she doesn't have to go against Marcy Ian in that liberal stronghold.
0: Yeah, she obviously, I mean, look, like Liz May said herself, I mean, there were real and uh, relevant reasons for why Anime ran in that riding, considering her upbringing. But, uh, that obviously isn't working right time to try something new
1: right the, the one the other thing I wanted to bring up was that you brought up how Alberta's vote changed from 70% to 55% and I wonder mm-hmm. if 70% was ever sustainable to begin with like no we're, we are we're, we're really lucky to live in a country that has you know five or six depending on the day national parties. And yeah. the fact that you have seventy percent going to one party in the in a province, in one of ten provinces, I think like mm-hmm. shouldn't be sustainable. We should really be exercising our right to choose. So, you know, going from seventy to fifty five seems like a much more healthy balance, um, or outcome for Alberta. And and I, I think Kenny's Incompetence on the pandemic was absolutely, absolutely uh, a a contributing factor in them losing that amount of support.
0: Hmm. It's interesting. I I think so too. But um, from my analysis, uh, well before the election, I had seen that Aaron O'Toole was losing support in the prairies. And it was particularly because of his stance on climate change and his perspective on wanting to make the party more progressive. So it's just not a good time for them, man. We will see how that works out for them, I guess.
1: And this is after he had chosen to support the, the fact that climate change is a thing. That's when he lost support in the prairies?
0: Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's part of the reason why the liberals were able to pick up two more seats and why even the NDP was able to able to pick up the seats that they did because people did start to look at alternatives. If there's, if there's, there are numerous things that happened this election, obviously. One of the things that happened is that Alberta, maybe not much, but they did diversify their vote just a little bit, just a little bit. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, what I found kind of interesting about the PPC, um, I think it was Kareem Assad who pointed this out, if not somebody else, but especially where I live in Whitby, it's interesting to see that their signs are, or were, I guess, uh, far better looking. (laughs) It's just, they're far better looking signs, far more sturdy signs than any of the other parties. And it's almost like, so I don't know if if those sturdy and good looking signs were only in my writing, or if they chose a series of writings that might be conducive to a PPC win to kind of make themselves look better. But it, it, it did, it did jump out at me that they are trying really hard in writings where they think they have an edge, particularly, for example, uh, Maxime Belknier decided to uh, have his election night. Um, speech in Manitoba. Manitoba is one of the places where the PPC support for the PPC is just is rampant right now. I mean, just wow. from, from perspective, even outside of Manitoba, there's also Saskatchewan, obviously, we kind of just talked about Alberta. I don't know if you know this Patience, but the PPC in numerous writings came either second or third. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's an interesting time, man. <sighs> Boutonnier is going to uh, keep his platform in place. Well, I I, uh, I hope it doesn't have the same opinion. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, if. Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
1: Moving on to blackity, black, black news. I'm going to laugh as I say this headline. Cowboys shock Haitian migrants at the Texan border, and Biden claims he had no idea. How? (laughs) Hundreds of Haitian migrants camped on the banks of the Rio Grande in Texas carrying their few belongings south, across a river to a Mexican park on Tuesday, afraid that if they stayed in the U.S., they would be returned to a place they no longer considered their homeland. Some of the agents were gripping and waving what appeared to be reins, prompting accusations that they had been using whips against the migrants. One video captured an agent shouting curse words at a migrant. So what do they do? After you find out that cowboys, literally men, police officers, on horses, are whipping Black people, what do you do? You call Vice President Kamala Harris. Vice President Kamala Harris on Tuesday called the treatment, quote, horrible, end quote, and said she planned to discuss the issue with Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of the Homeland Security Department, which has started an investigation. But why is this all happening? Well, the Biden administration has flown, slash, deported more than 1,000 people to Haiti since Sunday, Sunday, September 18th, planned to run seven flights a day starting Wednesday, September 22nd, with room for 135 migrants on each plane. But some top Democrats said the strategy was wrong. Duh.
0: Dead blood clot wrong. (laughs) Dead blood clot wrong. By the way, Haiti's destroyed right now?
1: We just witnessed a huge earthquake that has taken out a country that has not been able to rebuild, not to mention that they had a recent assassination happen on the island.
0: No, fam, y'all gotta fix that right quick.
1: Like, uh, apparently this is all tied into the public health rule that the Trump administration put into place at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, which has been used to deport More than 700,000 people under the Biden administration Mm. to quickly expel migrants, many of whom are seeking asylum. Immigration advocates have suggested that the administration is ignoring its own assessment of living conditions in Haiti which it deemed so extreme that it extended authorization in late July for any Haitian who was in the country to live temporarily in the United States.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that to me.
1: Katharina Obser, a director at the Women's Refugee Commission, says, quote, It is reprehensible that Haitian families seeking safety amidst political violence and a devastating earthquake at home are met with anti-Black violence and no real opportunity to seek protection, end quote. Many of the migrants who recently arrived in Del Rio have not lived in Haiti for years, right? We're not dealing with people who are coming directly from Haiti. We're dealing with people who have been living elsewhere um, because they've been forced out or forced off of the island and haven't been living on the island since 2010, Mm -hmm. many of them residing in South America. Any thoughts on on this whole debacle, Curtis?
0: I mean, I kind of shared my thoughts throughout your your speech there. I mean, um, this is... It's, it's beyond me that Biden would try to act like he didn't know what was going on. You're the president of the United States. You're probably the most well-informed person in the world. Um, and quite frankly, so we are now at September 2021. Um, the election was almost a year ago, fam. I, I don't expect Trump policies like this to still be in place and still causing the havoc that it is. Right. Especially after what we just mentioned with the political violence of of their president being assassinated and and their recent earthquake. We need to be doing better. And I don't have any patience for this particular issue anymore. We need to be doing better.
1: Exactly. Uh, So that that story was actually from the world, but we're going to move a a little bit further in the world and speak about the humanitarian crisis that is worsening in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. Mm. According to the United Nations, more than 400,000 people are facing famine-like conditions and 1.8 million are on the brink of famine across Tigray. The region of some 6 million people remains under a, quote, de facto humanitarian blockade, end quote, according to the UN. The UN is warning of a looming catastrophe and is urging all warring sides to allow and facilitate the unimpeded passage of aid. So this is what's happening. Apparently, a minimum of 100 trucks of food, non-food items, and fuel must enter the region every single day to make sure that people are not dying of starvation. Mm-hmm. But access has been extremely difficult. The World Food Program said last week that since July 12th, 445 contracted non-agency trucks have entered Tigray, but only 38 have returned. Oh. Oh. Calling their disappearance the primary impediment to stepping up the humanitarian response.
0: So trucks are disappearing from. They're just snatching trucks off the roads out here.
1: Yo, it's wild out there. So I- I've been seeing a lot, you know, of you know, send support to Tigray, but I'm not sure how much support's getting in there. Certainly, we should keep our eye on on this issue as it is worsening, despite not being, um, you know, in the news in the public eye.
0: Hmm. Jumping to questions for the audience. So we spoke earlier today about uh, how each of the parties did, and we touched on the conservatives in particular and the fact that, well, because they didn't win the election and they seem to be pretty hard-nosed about winning elections, Aaron O'Toole will probably be out as leader. The question is, do you think he'll be out before the end of the year or after that? You just listened to episode 69 of The Drip. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to Stand Today.
1: You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip T.O. You know, we love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you So if you have any feedback or questions or comments or you want to yell at us about something, feel (laughs) free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up.
0: We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See you all next time.